there is a bridge, but the bridge is just uh, big enough for uh, a small car, but not for buses. What do you think? Who are the people who can cross the bridge? And who are the people who cannot cross the bridge outside in the like architecture, which he compares then with, with the code, the, the software programs out there, they have a, a lot of uh, influence on what we can do or what we cannot do. When you have a chat system and in this chat, you can generate groups of 20 people but you cannot generate larger groups than 20 people. The only uh, people that can generate larger groups would then be the company itself. Normally in a democracy, you are allowed to, to join your uh, freedom of assembly. If you cannot influence the software there, it will be very difficult for you to coordinate anything with 21 people. Welcome everybody to TechLore Talks. Today, I'm super thrilled to invite Matthias Kirschner from the Free Software Foundation of Europe on for an amazing discussion about free and open source software in Europe, but also just broadly what the movement is about why it's so important, what Matthias is doing and what he has done throughout his life, and most importantly, just fresh perspectives on software and the artificial boundaries that it can place on our lives and why open source is important even if we don't use it and how it influences proprietary software. We can't do these interviews without some amazing people like Tutanota who sponsors us and also all of our patrons who allow us to do all this content for free. So thank you to everybody who is supporting us. Definitely check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash techlore if you want to see more interviews like this. And without further ado, let me cut over to Matthias and enjoy what you hear because it's some good stuff. I'm Matthias. I work for the Free Software Foundation Europe, got involved in free software in the late 1990s, uh, and it got involved in the FSFE as first intern in 2004, volunteered for several years, and since 2009, I'm working full-time for the Free Software Foundation Europe. Got it. So I actually was introduced to you from Yoast from Nextcloud. He said that you're someone I would probably enjoy talking to. And so I'm really appreciative of him, uh, I guess, putting us in contact. Um, and embarrassingly enough, uh, perhaps because I'm US based, I've only heard of the FSF, not the FSFE. So do you mind expanding on what the FSFE is? And is there a um, connection? Do you, are you guys in formal collaboration with the FSF or is it just similar? Do you mind kind of expanding into that? So the, the FSF was founded in 1985 as a legal body for the CNU project with the aim to develop a free operating system where all components of the operating system grant users the rights to use, understand, share and improve the software. And then in 2001, the FSFE was created in Europe. The idea was that there is not just one free software foundation out there, but there are several free software foundations around the world. So you have a network of independent organizations, so personal and financial independent, and that if anything happens to one of the organizations, the others will still operate and work for software freedom. And that's what what was then started that in, in 2001, the FSFE was founded. And from there on, we started uh, to work for free software in Europe mainly in the areas of uh, like public awareness work, of policy work and legal work for free software. That makes sense. So do you, just to give me a better understanding here, do you tackle the same issues in different geographic regions or do you deal with geographic specific issues via your own networks? Is there any collaboration at all or are you guys doing your own thing with similar philosophies? Hmm. So, so there is both. I mean, in the, in the history, there were things that the two organizations worked uh, more together on, uh, like, uh, for example, when it's about the, the work against software patents, that was something where there was a lot of collaboration there or when it was about uh, updating licenses where we were then also involved when the FSF worked on uh, the GNU GPL version 3. Um, but beside that, there are also lots of, um, lots of projects and activities that are, um, that are different in the different areas. So in Europe, we did a lot of campaigning, which was also from the campaigns with a little bit different focus than US campaigns. I mean, I think that also changed over the years, but at the beginning, 
I would say that uh, negative campaigning was way more common in the in the US in the IT area there than it was common in Europe. So our campaigns they were more focused on like positive messaging than a negative messaging. What would be like a negative campaign message? A negative uh, message would be like. Um, um, for example, an, uh, a no DRM, uh, I bet, uh, or um, there would be something like, uh, um, like, like we we don't want this uh, as a as a campaign, like uh, no DRM. Uh, and in in Europe, we try to focus more on the on the positive messaging part. There, uh, for example, we. Uh, organized uh, in this area the the document freedom day and uh, there we highlighted organizations that uh, are using open standards where you don't have any drm but uh, where everyone can access that with other software the um, the the uh, formats uh, received there for example we rewarded a uh, um, a public radio station that was uh, broadcasting and publishing their shows in Ogwarbis at that time already. And uh, so people didn't have to use uh, patented MP3 um, software to, to listen to the radio. Or um, there was also for a public television station which published uh, their videos in Ogtheora as a video format um, or for example um, formats for newspaper publications uh, so that you don't need to get an app to read your um, to read your newspaper but they, they also provide it in uh, txt html uh, epub and so on that's awesome i i like the difference in messaging and i i guess this, is, this isn't an assumption i should make i feel um that the free software movement is stronger in the EU than it is in the US from what I've been able to tell mainly because I've seen uh governments actually implement a lot of open source solutions we see governments use matrix we see governments uh I don't know about governments but I've seen school districts use libreoffice and things of this nature and I haven't seen any of that in the US mm-hmm. Would you attribute that to your different approach? Would you attribute that to a different uh, geographical mm-hmm. reason? Is, I mean, when I was in Berlin, I just went into a, a vegan restaurant and they had a little flyer there with all the vegan spots in Berlin. And just by pure coincidence, I think they the, the whole app was open source. And I want to say it was available on F-Droid. I yes, don't know yes, for sure. Yes, I, I, I know the developer. It's Berlin Vegan Maps. Yes, yes. Yeah, and so, yeah, that's like, a great, great project, yes. Uh, you just stumble on this stuff. You mm-hmm. don't stumble on this as someone who lives in the States. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit difficult for me to answer the question because I'm not so familiar with the, the exact situation in the US. But um, I, I think there are a few factors there. Um, first of all, um, in, in Europe, we are not that restricted as a nonprofit to also directly talk with politicians and political decision makers. Whereas in uh, in US, I mean, there are some restrictions on different nonprofit uh, entities that they cannot directly engage in political work there. And uh, the FSFE, on the other hand, from the very beginning on, we reached out to politicians, we talked with them about free software and I mean, that was when, when I started in the early 2000s, uh, you reached out to politicians that you would like to talk with them about free software and, uh, and the effects of a software on our society and on the economy. They looked at you and thought like, what a nerd. What does this guy with those long hair, what, what does he want? And maybe they told you to, to talk with their IT guy or something like this. But I mean, the, the good thing was that over the years, the more people reached out to politicians about those topics, the more uh, of them also thought, okay, what is this about? And they might have asked one of their employees to to check what uh, what this is about and started talking with you on those topics. And that's something which uh, which I see that in, in Europe, there was the FSFE, there were other organizations and other European countries working, doing the, this work on a, on a, 
um, on a gov uh, on a level of the of the different countries there, and people engaged with politicians and they, they engage with political decision makers and with public administrations and talked with them about free software. And I think it was something where a lot of them, they didn't say like, you have to use this, the other thing is bad. Um, but it was, it was more in a way to, ex to make sure that they get a better understanding of what are the advantages of this. Um, also get an assessment of yeah how difficult it, it is to to make changes there but that in the end political decision makers can take a decision based on facts than on some hearsay so there are uh, there are often i mean there there were also many campaigns by companies who were not so much in favor of free software at at that time at least who told people all kind of strange stories about like if you use free software you need to publish everything uh, you have uh, to the public and uh, all your software all your data or or other things like if we um if you uh, switch to free software, uh, so many people will get unemployed because you cannot make any money with free software, and uh, this is this is communism. Uh, and so, so they they also portrayed a lot of like free software um, advocates as like those software hippie communists, and uh, that was something which um, over the years then. Um, yeah, the, those those perception changed, and they understood that. Well, there are people out there. They don't want to just like push them and tell them, uh, "I I am screaming louder for for this uh, solution here." So you have to go in this direction. But there were lots of people in Europe who who engaged in discussions, who helped people to get a better understanding, to enable them to take a better decision on their own. And I think that was something where. There were a lot of compromises and a lot of uh, steps into the right direction, but they, they were not perfect at the time. But still, you applauded them for taking the first steps. You helped them to take the next steps afterwards. And I think that's that's how, at least in Europe, um, you need to, to approach this, that you... Um, you need to find compromises. You need to do it step by step. You cannot make the uh, okay. We are not a majority. We we are louder. Uh, let's let's switch everything uh, to free software. So, right. Well, I, this is actually brings up a lot of things that I might want to touch on because um, a very common sentiment that I see about free software, especially on the internet, though everything's charged on the internet. So I don't know how representative that is of people who actually use free software who aren't online all day. Mm. Um, but it feels very extremist. A lot of times it's, uh, this is not free software. Therefore, like nobody should use it. And we are, this is how things should be. Mm. This is why, like, this has one proprietary thing in it, therefore I will never use it. And so there's a lot of this sentiment mm. out there. And what you described sounded a little bit different from that. It sounded like you just wanted to educate people on the benefits of free software and how maybe some people could benefit from that. Is that perhaps a better way of outlining how you approach things? I mean, that, that that's our general approach. That doesn't mean that we also uh, sometimes we get loud, uh, we get, uh, we, we ask questions they would like uh, to prefer not to answer, or uh, we, we raise issues in a forum where they wouldn't like these issues to be raised. That of course also happens. But um, yeah, I think I think that's the reality of how change works. And the other part, I um, I have the impression that this is also what uh, some platforms want us to believe how the world looks like, that there are those extremes. And I mean, I I am now involved in in the free software community since the, the late 1990s, and my impression is that that those people they are really uh, a small minority in there who are. Uh, who, who don't understand that people sometimes have to make compromises that uh, in, in your daily lives, it's very, very difficult if you say like, you should not use any proprietary software. I mean, how do you want to do that? 
there are so many technologies which you cannot use at all if you go down uh, through all the levels in in your uh, computers and uh, what what do you want to do you're not using the elevator anymore you're you don't want to to take a train or a plane um, or I mean with mobile phones uh, if you if you go down to to like GSM chips or something like that it's it's difficult and I mean when when I talk with people and they tell me oh yes I um I put uh, an, uh, another Android ROM on my phone, uh, but I, I then used uh, Aurora to install the, the app from my bank because else I cannot access that anymore in my country. Uh, I mean, if, if you then tell them, oh, that's bad, uh, I think that's the, that's the wrong approach. The right approach is like, it's great that you installed a, a free Android ROM on your phone. You got rid of a lot of proprietary software there. and yeah, the situation with the bank, that's really bad. And we should work hard to make the banks understand that uh, that they are just offering those sometimes really simple apps uh, in a way that you cannot understand what they are actually doing on your phone. And then you need to have an app for each of those banks. Also, the only thing they do is they generate a second factor where we have lots of standards uh, that that can do that and uh, you have better software already on your phone generating a second factor maybe even with a hardware token so yeah that that's the thing we should approach and we should uh, talk with the banks we should talk with regulators that uh, that we change the situation there but it's it's not the individual person who is then uh, yeah to blame for uh, that, that they they cannot resist this one piece of, of software on their on their mobile phone. Right. Uh, I definitely appreciate that approach. And I think you're right, too, in the sense that uh, platforms online do a very good job of presenting extreme opinions uh, and making it maybe it's not even the platforms, but it's very hard when you're through a computer screen to be able to tell how prominent a opinion or take really is. Um, there's not, I mean, you can look at likes and favorites as kind of a judgment mm. of that, but even that, they're cookie uh, points. They don't mean anything. Um, so, but it's a even, tough situation. even if you go uh, back to the to the time before, you had those uh, those platforms which worked a lot, like with likes and shares and and how how much attention do you get and how much co uh, advertisement can you sell? Even at that time, I mean, some journalists they, they they want to rather focus on the uh, on the extreme cases and the the outstanding uh, situations and not the oh yeah it's complicated uh, <laughs> parts of of how uh, of stories it's more like the there is this person a crusader for for this cause or or there are those people who uh, rich person fights poor person or yeah i mean it's it's, it's a little bit like like stories uh, humans like those stories they like heroes but reality is often more complicated and and a lot of heroes they wouldn't exist if there aren't like hundreds of people who do a lot of work whom people might not recognize that they are involved at all so right um well to pivot a little bit so you posted that uh, recently on your website that it's the 40th anniversary uh, for the GNU project. Um, when were you all, you, you were established in 99, right? Uh, we were established in 2001 okay. and the FSF in 1985 and the GNU project in 1983. That's why we have 40 years of the GNU project. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for clearing that up for me. So what... Um, has been kind of like your main highlights of your career so far. What are the things that you would highlight as your biggest wins? What are things you still want to do? And I think from there, we'll probably touch on more of the broad uh, free software discussion, maybe for people mm -hmm. who are newer to free software. From the, the things that the FSFE has worked on, there is one uh, campaign framework, which I think is very well known. Meanwhile, it is uh, called Public Money, Public Code, where on the website publiccode.eu, we um, summarized arguments in favor of that if um, public money is used to create software, that that software should be under a free software license so that everyone benefits from it. 
the idea about that is that public administration should be able to work together, reuse ideas, um, better collaborate with each other, provide better services for citizens. And in general, the idea, let's not waste those good resources we have and scare resources, which are like good programmers <laughs> and uh, let them fix the problem again and again and again, that's the same problem, but let's make sure that we can work together and can concentrate on fixing the next problem because one problem is already solved. So let's share the solution for that. And um, yeah, we were um, preparing this, uh, this website with arguments, pub, uh, added a video there, translated it into many languages. We did a brochure with um, additional information for decision makers when they are interested in this topic and provided all this information plus other help to other organizations out there who want to promote this and who want to get in contact with their political decision makers. And that's meanwhile, from my perspective, one of the most successful digital campaigns out there. You go to a conference, people mention this. I haven't heard about them before, but they are using our campaign materials and uh, our arguments, <laughs> which, yeah, I, I take as a success. <laughs> has has um, any country or uh, location actually implemented these? There are, there are several. Um, I mean, first, there are some uh, public administrations who also signed this, uh, signed this letter of us that this should be the way how it is, uh, how it uh, should be. So you can find that on publicco.eu when you uh, filter the supporting organizations there for public administrations. And uh, meanwhile, there are also several... Um, uh, several political parties or um, mentions in party programs out there um, that that ask for for this. So there is, uh, for example, in Italy, there was already for a longer time um, regulation that if you procure new software, you should first check if there is other software that does uh, that solves this problem in used by other public administrations so can, you can reuse that is there free software out there that solves the problem and just if those two things are not given then you are allowed to procure other software so that's uh, on on the level there if you go into implementation you will see that i mean as as always that the problem is implementing a lot of those laws or implementing decisions so you will find that people often find some loopholes not to implement certain um, decisions there but uh, like on the in Germany, we have seen uh, that on, on in several of the federal uh, states there that in the party programs, in the election programs, they ask for this on the federal level. It was also included uh, there in the past. Even, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's meanwhile also that, um, that there are meanwhile also more conservative parties that implemented that. So, um, also, as one example now from from Germany, there was the, the there is the German CDU, which is the the conservative party here, and they also had a party resolution asking for this, and which was uh, approved there. But then, when you when you go into like other other countries, you have like the city of Barcelona implementing uh, or working on this topic. You have. Um, you have uh, public administrations in France working for this and making sure to to create more free software and publish more free software. You have that in in Scandinavia in countries uh, there from different institutions. So there there's a lot out there. You you can check out uh, some examples in in our brochure um, from uh, which is available on on publicco.eu. Uh, but also if you if you start looking for those examples there are meanwhile a lot of them and uh, this is this is really showing that um in in the different european countries there are more and more people who understand this why what benefits do you get from free software and uh, i think a lot of them also meanwhile understand the the democratic aspect of this as well right um it sounds like a very successful campaign and it's something that i'm very 
uh, jealous of, mainly because I haven't seen this kind of movement in the U.S. Here, what I see when I cover the news, aside from the collaborative benefits that you shared about uh, open source software, the other thing for me is the transparency that comes along with it, which is important mm -hmm. when you're talking about public money. Uh, if, you know, if you have a ton of people contributing money to something, and here it might be a police program that's using facial mm -hmm. recognition on citizens, and we don't know how that's being used, we don't know what the software does, we don't know how it works, and we pretty much just have to study the results of the program. That's why we're seeing, I'm sure you've seen the research papers mm -hmm. of biased facial recognition or things of that nature. We just have to analyze the end result. We can't actually mm -hmm. look at the code and make improvements despite it coming from taxpayer money. Mm. Um, I mean, I mean, on the on the other hand, I mean, I'm not an expert in the for for free software in the US. But they are also um, for for some time even before in, in Europe, it, it started that much we had some uh, publications and very good documentation uh, from like the Department of Defense in the US about free software and uh, pros and cons there. And I think there were also several um, uh, department agencies that that published also software under free software licenses before so i i, I think it's also out there Got it. um just yeah that I, I i don't have such a good overview there so but i i'm pretty sure if you if you search there you will also find that maybe um it is also that um uh, sometimes uh, the question is also how much do people talk about that and uh, that was also something that we have seen in the past that there were times when uh, public administration they didn't want to talk about their use or um, their uh, their work with in free software uh, that was something especially around a time when uh, there was a lot of attention to the situation in Munich with the, the Linux project at that time, where they used free software there, but uh, there was a lot of lobby work against this by large companies that were not interested that this should get the default there. And uh, afterwards, for many years, when I talked with people, they told me all kind of great stuff they were doing, but told me, please don't tell anyone, and especially don't tell journalists about this. Because if this is known out there, there will be lobbyists coming and it will be destroyed. And uh, so that's something that a lot of them, they, for time, they, they choose not to promote it too much. They just wanted to do it. And, um, and I think that that's still often the case that there are people out there, they are doing great work. It's, it's uh, published as free software, they're using free software, but they don't want this to uh, get too much known because then they know that their boss or their boss's boss or their boss's boss's boss will be approached and then there will be those uh, discussions about um, impacts on, uh, on, on uh, like economy or yeah, we have so many people here, we pay that much. Yeah, okay, they often don't use the tax argument because of a lot of them, they don't pay taxes. But yeah, um, <laughs> it, it, it will become problematic then. So they can't just do it anymore. It becomes then a political topic. And uh, then they, they have to defend that and cannot concentrate on their work anymore. So would you say that one of, if not the biggest friction point to wider adoption of open source software is companies who rely on proprietary software? Or is there something else? Because that's something that you touched on a lot in this interview. Uh, no, I I think there are different factors there. I mean, one is that free software, I think, is still not widely understood as uh, what is what it is actually about. So, I mean, for a very long time, people thought, okay, you can get some creative software there. It's something for those, yeah, for those hackers or. Um, but I mean, the, the the main point there is, and and that's also why it's getting more more traction. Meanwhile, is when when you are in a in a democracy, you distribute power. You make sure that there is not a single uh, point where a lot of power is concentrated, and you do that with like you have. Uh, 
adjudicative, an executive, a legislative, you have different states, you have different uh, institutions which do some like checks and balances. But uh, when we look at, at software or technology, you have a lot of power in some small in some places very few hands and for a very long time people didn't realize the impact of that on society but i think that's something that cha is changing now you see that uh, a field which wasn't regulated at all for a very long time or very little regulation where um, decision makers now go into uh, um, into those topics and think about, okay, how do we regulate this? How can we make sure that those companies or uh, those those organizations aren't getting too powerful? And yes, those companies, uh, of course, they make a lot of money with uh, those monopolies and they can use this money to protect those monopolies. And every year, every uh, they, they can protect this. That's a lot of money for uh, for the company, for the people involved there, and for their shareholders. So that's something which uh, which they try to prevent, of course. But on the other hand, it's also that um, there were a lot of people in in the positions to take decisions um, who didn't understand these topics that much, and for whom it was still a bit, what is this about? And now you see that there are more and more younger people getting in those positions who have an understanding about those topics and who who get that faster what we what we are talking about and where i think there will be a, a lot of change there because of that as well perfect so you think it's also educational and that's something that you're continually working on by just mm -hmm. your presence existing and all the resources that you have which is going to help that issue do you mind expanding a little bit on the power let's say someone's listening to this for the first time and they're you know maybe they're watching this from youtube logged into their google accounts or maybe they also have facebook i don't think it's necessarily wrong that people have these accounts it sounds like you care more about the companies rather than people using the companies um don't want to speak for you but i think that's probably the bigger issue here um but what does this power mean why should someone be concerned about this because as you know it's hard to tell what that power looks like when you're just using a service but mm. what is the issue with the power that you're putting in the hands of these companies? What are they doing? What's mm. the problem? So, I mean, there is this uh, this very uh, famous book by by Lawrence Lessig, Code and Other Laws of Cyberspace, uh, which was one of the most influential books for me. And in this book, he explains how people are regulated. He explains how markets work. He explains how laws work. He explains how social norms work in our society, how they, how they have an impact on your daily lives. Now, code uh, or, or the, the software infrastructure technology, he sees as a very strong regulator in our lives. So like if we, if we go into the real world, like technology there, think about the difference. You want to go on another side of the river and there is a bridge or there isn't a bridge. And now there is a bridge, but the bridge is just uh, big enough for uh, a small car, but not for buses. What do you think? Who are the people who can cross the bridge? And who are the people who cannot cross the bridge? So people who have a car, they can cross the bridge. Those who need to take a bus because they cannot afford a car, they cannot cross the bridge. So I mean, that's, that's now in the like when you when I look outside in the like architecture, which he compares then with with the code, the, the software programs out there. And the software programs, those are the components which build this infrastructure, this digital infrastructure we have. And uh, they have a, a lot of uh, influence on what we can do or what we cannot do. For example, uh, that was also one, one nice example from the very old times now. <laughs> um, think about uh, when, uh, when you have a chat system. And in this chat, you can generate groups of 20 people. But you cannot generate larger groups than 20 people. 
the only person, the only uh, people that can generate larger groups would then be the company itself. So they can they can decide to build a larger group and uh, have more people talking with each other. But you cannot decide to have 21 people in one group. That was something that AOL prevented at the time in their in their old messenger uh, system before <laughs> we had those others out there. So they, they have a lot of influence. How many people can get together? Normally, in a democracy, you are allowed to, to join. You are a freedom of assembly. You can you can join together and uh, there is no rule like it's 20 people and if you're 21 well you have to separate in two groups that's you do you don't have this there but this infrastructure it doesn't allow you to have more people in a room than the 20 people so if you cannot influence the software there it will be very difficult for you to coordinate anything with 21 people so and 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 that's something which in 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 many uh, in many places uh, this this has an effect on you. Like uh, I don't know, have you still used uh, DVDs? I do not, but I did. I, I'm old uh, enough to have used DVDs, so I did grow up on them. Yeah. So for example, when when you cannot uh, a software tells you you are not allowed to copy a DVD. You cannot copy the DVD. Also, I mean, a computer is designed to make copies of data. So um, even so, the law in some countries might allow you to copy a DVD. The software doesn't allow you to exercise the rights which you would have. And so is what you're trying to say in this segment that there are artificial boundaries that are put in place? uh from these organizations it's 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 not just artificial boundaries i mean yeah of, often uh they, they put boundaries in place uh because of conscious decision sometimes programmers just put boundaries in place because they haven't thought about other use cases of their software so they create something and uh within their cultural background they grow up in uh, in in in, uh, in Europe, they uh, have been um, influenced by by culture there, by the laws there, and then they are programming something. And they might not want to to do something against the law, but uh, also they they might be influenced by some social norms, so they program something. Now, when someone in in a country in Asia uh, gets this software, they might think like, oh, why why do I have to do it this way? And but but I would like to do this, uh, and and then they, they cannot change the software if it's not free software, and they also can't understand what what routes are implemented there even. So it might just not work for them because they are used to do things differently. And so so in a lot of cases, as a as a programmer, you will transform your your belief system and the the rules you are used to to the people that are using the software afterwards. If you don't allow them to understand what rules are implemented there by providing others the, the source code, and if you don't allow them to make modifications to this so they can change that and adapt it to their own needs, you are exercising power on them. Right. That's such a cool perspective. I really enjoy that. Because I think a lot of people just think there's only one way to program something. If you're making a Twitter alternative, there's a way to make it and it's just code and there's no human behind that. There's no bias. There's no influence. There's no possible diversity in how that code is developed and who it's targeted for and how it works and what's going on behind the scenes. So it's a very human way of looking at code, which I don't think many people have. I think many people associate programmers as an extension of, of the computer rather um, than humans developing code. But but on the other hand, I mean, uh, I think for many years people were also trained that um, if something doesn't work on your computer, it's your fault, right? Mm. So and it is was also as something like uh, a little bit. There is this, there are those those people who understand computers and they they do this and well, you are the ones who you then get it and if if it doesn't work, it's your fault. Well, um, well, those programs uh, that the whole infrastructure around us all the, the components in the internet they have been created by humans and humans do mistakes and humans have a bias and and humans have certain 
beliefs they will transform uh, they, they will uh, which will have an effect on all their uh, aspects of their life and well if if you know that something is created by other humans and that humans make mistakes and that you can also have a look at that and or if you can't someone else can uh, and you can have a discussion if those things are right or wrong and if they are consistent with other laws or social norms in your society that's a completely different perspective but of course for a lot of uh, companies who are in like monopoly situations um, this is also beneficial that uh, this is something i there's a software and it's there and you cannot change it it's that's the way it is and you have to be uh, behave the way that the software wants and not change software the way you want it to behave right actually this i i think it's hard for people to conceptualize what this might look like um to give a personal example and ironically i will be using an open source software as the example, not because I'm against the software. I'm going to use Signal as the example, uh, just teaser. Um, I love Signal. It's what I use almost exclusively with everybody I know. But Signal does have some frustrating limitations. Um, for example, you can't use Signal on two mobile phones because there always has to be one core device. You can't do two linked devices. Uh, for context, WhatsApp recently released a feature where you can have WhatsApp on two phones. Um, so it, I personally would like to see the option on Signal for uh, any device to be a linked device, regardless if it's a phone, which they've done on the iPad. Like on the iPad, you can select whether or not it's a linked device or if it's the core device. Um, and it's frustrating because this one limitation dictates what devices I can buy, how I use Signal, how many Signal accounts I can have, and all these other things. Now, someone could fork Signal and host Signal, and it's open source, so someone, in theory, could build the infrastructure, it's, it would be an immense task just to fix one small issue, but it's theoretically possible. Now, if Signal wasn't open source, and and by the way, this is done because people like Session and other messengers actually forked the Signal protocol, and they have kind of done this on their own. Mm-hmm. So it's already kind of happened as well. And I think, I don't think SimpleX is based on, I don't want to speak on SimpleX because I'm not too familiar mm-hmm. with it. But if it's proprietary, you just have zero options if it's proprietary. Mm. But like, this is what a limitation looks like. It's something that prevents you from using a device a certain way. It uh, impacts your day-to-day life. And if you have 50 different proprietary bits of software in your life, and they all have these limitations, you might actually be a lot more influenced by the software than mm. than you think. I, I wanted to share that along because this is a recent realization mm. from my end, which is software limitation that I use day-to-day actually gr- dramatically changes the way I live my life mm-hmm. without me realizing it. And I mean, with this with, with, uh, signal, you also see that it 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 is actually quite, uh, there are nuances um, in this. So signal, the client is free software, the server, from my understanding as well, but I also don't know that many people that are running um, their own servers and they will not federate with the main server. So you you have a single point of failure and uh, I can understand that. I mean, this, this uh, gives you the possibility for like Signal to have faster changes there. So you don't have to, um, to uh, um, coordinate that with other people doing like clients that access the Signal network and where you might have other features um, included there. But uh, it's it's also something that is of course uh, limiting than the uh, or or they they still have more power over this uh, communication than for example if you take um, XMPP as a protocol and you have several XMPP servers you have uh, tons of XMPP chat clients and uh, on different platforms with uh, different features and it's very easy for someone to just set up an XMPP server I mean it, I did that in 2004 while I was an intern it was quite easy you you set it up and and it works and um, but yeah that that's then uh, something where uh, people have like they can choose more. Uh, they people have to coordinate more on the on the standardization there. But uh, yeah, it it of course it it has an impact if uh, like at the moment there is one entity 
And if the uh, Signal server is shut down, we will not be able to use Signal anymore to uh, to text with each other or to have calls with each other. While it's very, very hard to shut off uh, XMPP conver com um, conversations because that's many servers all on an equal level that are federating with each other, way more difficult uh, to, um, to shut that off. So, right. Um, I guess to kind of pivot over, um, just broadly, you know, if someone's listening to this, maybe they've heard of free software. I feel like in this day and age, most people have heard of the term open source, at least maybe even if it's just hearing the word, um, let's say someone's listening to this, they don't quite understand open source software yet. I should say free software, not open source mm -hmm. software. Um, so they don't understand free software and they want to get involved. What are kind of the first steps that you would uh, suggest to someone who's looking to get more involved in this, maybe to learn more about it, but not just to learn about it, but also to be more of a part of it? Do you think that it's more social, like they should get socially involved? Do you think it's a, oh, you should switch from proprietary software to free software? What would you suggest to someone who's listening and wants to get more involved? I mean, that that depends so much on that person. <laughs> I would say for, for me, a good first step is to understand what free software actually is and that free software, or, I mean, other people call it open source software, that it is software, which doesn't discriminate. So it gives you the right to use the software for any purpose and gives everyone the right to use the software for any purpose. The other part that when it's free software, it should grant you the um, right to understand the software for that. You need to get the source code. And then you can start to analyze what the software is actually doing. Or if you don't want to look at the uh, source code, you know that other people can do and that they could speak up when they see something in there, which is bad for society or bad for you as an individual because of privacy reasons. And they might then help you to get uh, to remove this, this uh, components there. And that free software gives you the right to beside the, the right to use it for any purpose and to understand it, to share it with others. So if you solve the problem, you can make sure to share it with others and then they can also use the solution again and the other way around as well. And as the last right there, that uh, you are allowed to make modifications to improve the software so that you don't have to do what the software programmer, the initial programmer thought about, but that you are allowed to make modifications there to uh, adapt it to your own needs as an individual, as an organization, as a public administration. Of course, that could also mean that you might have to pay for some of those things uh, if you want to get modifications or if you, uh, if someone uh, is sharing that, they can also ask you to, uh, that you, that you have to pay for that. So if you have this, this basic understanding and, and, uh, this understanding that this is something which is, it's not so much about technology itself. It's more on the level of, we have the freedom of the press in our society. We have freedom of assembly. And well, if you want to distribute power, it's also about distributing power over software as one part of technology. So we need software freedom there as well. And if, if you think about that, I think that's already a huge step you're, you're taking. And then it completely depends on your interests, uh, how you want to get involved. Maybe you say, oh, that sounds all reasonable, but well, I, uh, I just bought this uh, iPhone and uh, what, what do I do now? Well, then you have a look if maybe there are some programs out there you can you can use like uh, you can use as as you said like a messenger uh, a free software messenger instead of a proprietary one if you have an, an android phone you might want to install fdroid which is a free software app store very easy to to uh, get that on your phone and from there on you can explore other apps there that are also all free software granting you those four rights and then you can explore what what is out there and if you say well i'm a programmer i would like to get involved then well there are so many um, people out there who would love to get you involved and if you say oh i can't program but i um I am very good with like UX design, or I'm very good in in, uh, in 
in writing a documentation or explaining people how to use software or doing videos about how to use software or um, translating software in other languages so that uh, people who don't speak English can also use the software. I mean, there, there are so many things out there. And uh, I think, yeah, you don't need to invest lots and lots of time often it's it's a very small thing you can do to already become part of this of this movement and if you say well uh, i don't have any time for anything of that but it sounds good well there are several organizations out there including the fsfe who would be uh, which would be happy to receive a donation and they can continue this work and uh, other companies out there when you when you pay them for for the software they can improve this further and uh, can make sure that even if you cannot use it now um, maybe in in a few years you have better alternatives out there and you don't just depend on some proprietary software that is um, that is very dominant because of their monopoly uh, positions well, that's one hell of a call to action. I'm sure <laughs> what you said resonates. Uh, some bit of what you said resonates differently with different people, uh, is what I'm hoping, because that was a very uh, whole answer. So Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think it's, it's I, I don't want to tell, like, do this or do that. I think it's it's depending a lot on the, on the interest. And I mean, I can tell you, like, uh, this morning, I was uh, doing a reading of a, a story tale I wrote about free software at a, at a school with 100 children from, from around eight years onwards. And uh, yeah, I mean, they, they then afterwards say, like, I would like to start programming. Then you can, you can guide them in, in, in this way. And there are others who they are, they are interested in, in other uh, topics around this. And yeah, I think it's, it, it depends so much on the individual there that uh, you cannot just say, like, it's this one thing you should do. Uh, 100%. And we, we deal with this issue, too, um, on the privacy side of things, because we do predominantly talk about privacy and security, mm -hmm. but as well as open source uh, occasionally. And it's the same thing. You're gonna, you're, we're, we're gonna say, hey, there's like five different uh, messenger options that we generally recommend to a lot of people. And then, of course, people go, well, which one do I do? And it's like, I don't know. It depends. <laughs> like, do you do you do you want decentralization, as you were referring to earlier? Do mm. you want something centralized? Do you want something easier to use with your friends and family? Do you need something that's um, entirely like, I guess, free and open source, or is it okay if something's based on an open source protocol? Mm. Um, what kind of security features do you need? Do you need disappearing messages? Like, there's just so much nuance to it. Is there an issue that there's a unique identifier attached to you? Like Signal requires your phone number. Are you okay sharing your phone number with people? Some people are, some people aren't. So it's extremely nuanced. And I'm sure as you're alluding to free software is mm -hmm. the same way. And, and I think, I mean, there's also, that's one of the differences there. Like as a company, you need to do like, uh, there's one option you need in this email, like do this, sign up here because you need this conversion. Uh, while on the other hand, I mean, our mission is to educate people that they can take their own decisions and that they get a better understanding what would be best for them. And yes, that's, that's not as easy as just click here, pay here, do that. Um, but I mean, that's also not the kind of society we, we envision. We want people to, uh, to think about a little bit more what, what is good for them and where they want to go. And, uh, they might even come to, to the conclusion that, well, the other things that we are offering or telling them that this is not the way they want to go. And that's also fine. I, it's, it's the end. We, we want to help people to get a better understanding and also then see points which we might miss. And uh, I, I think that's, that's way better than to educate people uh, to yeah, just just do what other people tell you to do, <laughs> even if if those are might might at that point be the ones that tell you like install this for your privacy. Um, it, it's better to get a little bit better understanding there. If if it's then a right. friend of you, I, I think that's always then uh, a, a difference there. If if friends are telling yeah, well there are those, but I would recommend you this because of. Whatever I mean, I I also take a lot of recommendation from friends or from from other people whom I I value. But uh, beside that, I think yeah, think a little bit more on what what you want. <laughs> right, and I mean I'll I'll throw myself under the bus here because you know so people are always curious what I use, and I can't share everything I use for 
like OPSEC reasons. But I, to simplify this for work, like right now I, I'm using Mac OS to do this video call. In fact, that's what I use for all my video production because I have not found quite the equivalent experience to simplify this um, for the video production and the creative side of things in the open source world. But for my personal life and everything that happens through myself, I've found I actually prefer the free software over the proprietary software. I prefer using Linux as my main operating system than anything else. It gives me control to do whatever I want with it. I like using messengers that are extremely freedom respecting. I like using browsers that are also that way too. So in my personal life, it actually aligns very well, but I struggle with it a little bit more on the creative production side of things. And I feel like it's a common complaint because a lot of professional tools, um, I don't think the free software movement has caught up quite to be able to give like an AutoCAD alternative or something like that. And so um, I think they do exist, but you're going to hear professionals debate I guess, whether or not they want to use them. And so I guess that's part of me and my journey of trying to navigate like where in my life I want to integrate free software where I don't want to integrate it and how I'm constantly pushing towards it, but I'm not perfect either. And mm. I don't think any of us are perfect. I mean, it's that's like there are so many areas which were difficult to, to handle the tasks there with free software in the past. And uh, I mean, you, you often need to look at like how are the business uh, um, the business models there? How is the money stream there? If uh, more people spend a lot of money on the proprietary uh, solutions than on free software solutions, then of course they, those companies, they have a big advantage. If, if you have the, the budget of 1 million versus um, 1000 uh, euros uh, per, per year, you can you have to work a lot like in your free time to to catch up and to to implement features there while on the other hand if more people try to balance that and spend the similar amount of money they spend on proprietary software also on free software then of course you can catch up there and i mean i would say that several years ago people like in, in the creative i'll now stay in the creative area um people wouldn't have thought that Blender uh, would be in the situation where it's now that you can use plan, uh, free software solution for 3D animation on a very high level. Blender is uh, impressive. So, and that that's also for for other tooling. And yes, I mean, free software is mainly dominant when you look at like operating system, try to use uh, another operating system on a supercomputer nowadays. Hmm. Uh, if you want to develop uh, software yourself, even if you develop proprietary software, I'm pretty sure most of the tools you will use are free software out there. Most of the languages you will use are free software out there, compilers, editors, whatsoever. And um, and still, I mean, if you if you nowadays when when I had a, a first uh, mobile phone out there, I didn't imagine that nowadays you can run a mobile phone with a lot of free software on it. Uh, on on your daily life, you you have like you can make phone calls where the other person actually understands you uh, with free software. You can you have maps there. You have uh, messages there. Um, people around you pop up uh, without you uh, telling them about those messengers and they tell you they also now have the same free software messenger. Um, and yeah, so it, it, it often depends on, on, on the areas there where it's, uh, where you have uh, free software in the, in the dominant position or where you have free software still needing to, to catch up and people who need to invest there that they are actually uh, free software solutions. Um, right. It's, it's a good perspective because uh, I, I used free DaVinci Resolve for a long time, but eventually I did pay for Studio because I liked it mm -hmm. so much. But I didn't think of the financial perspective there. Like mm -hmm. we, we as a company do contribute to some open source projects, but it would make sense to also try to offset the purchase for the proprietary mm. software for the open source for whatever i guess it's tough though because there's like three i'd say there's like two or three there's caden live there's open shot and then what's the some people do edit videos in blender but mm. it's not normally associated as a as an nle um but either way like do i 
that that's where it gets messy. Mm-hmm. Do I contribute to all yes. three equally? Do I pick one? It's it's yeah interesting. I mean that's that's in the end also a, a strategic decision for your company then. But I mean think about like also in the like graphic area about the improvements that um, that we have seen over the last years, like with Inkscape, with Krita, with Krita's uh, game, with Scribus, and so on. I mean we you can meanwhile uh, you can. Ch- create a professional book with free software and uh, that's something uh, which was uh, also quite difficult before like in the in the printing uh, area and i mean i know companies that um, that have policies when they do projects themselves and they reuse free software components there that they have something like 10 percent uh, of their um uh, of the money they make with this project, they afterwards distribute to those um, to those components involved. I uh, know people who who think about okay, if if I now spend ten thousand euro on a proprietary solution, maybe I should spend one percent and give that now to a, a free software um, project out there or company developing free software because. In the long run, it will be cheaper for me, even if I stay with the proprietary solution, because they know that they cannot increase so much the price for this because there is a competitor, even if it's not uh, like on the same feature feature level there. For, for example, I think uh, all those people out there using Microsoft uh, Office they have benefited a lot of the work of the people from from LibreOffice, even if they never used LibreOffice, because Microsoft knew that if they increase the the, the amount of money they ask for too much, then people might consider to use LibreOffice instead. And that's that's for for other uh, for other software out there as well. If uh, if there are competitors, well. I, I, that's a good thing for for you, even if you in the end then decide to use the proprietary software. Very cool perspective. I haven't thought of that before. It's a good point too. It's just I like that. Do you have any final words to share with with people? I I would have one shameless advertisement, okay. <laughs> and that is uh, I I wrote a book uh, about free software. And it's a story tale for like six years to 106 years. Let me can show it to you. This is uh, this is the book. It's an illustrated book, and it's called uh, Ada and Zangemann: A Tale of Software, Skateboards, and Raspberry Ice Cream, which also includes a lot of the aspects we just talked about, just in a story, uh, in, in a tale form. So if you are interested in this and uh, and maybe want to get uh, younger people interested in uh, in aspects of technology, encouraging them to tinker with technology. Or if you want, uh, if you say, well, free software, open source, that's cool, uh, but my parents don't understand it or my boss doesn't understand it, have a look at it. Uh, the, the book is also available under uh, free license. It's under uh, Creative Commons by Sharealike, like Wikimedia is. We also provide all the, the text files, graphic files, uh, so you can remix the book if you don't like something there. Um, you can read the book to others, showing the illustrations and so on. So this is uh, since August now available worldwide um, in, in English. It's also available in other languages. But uh, yeah, so that's one, one small thing there. Beside the general point, I also wanted to to mention uh, we as FSFE, we wouldn't be able to to do our work if there wouldn't be so many people out there who are donating to support us. So thank you to those who are supporting us. Um, if you want to support us, we are very happy about that. If you do that, we can continue our work. We can continue our independent work um, and uh, continue what we have started uh, in, in 2001. And uh, there are other organizations out there who are also working for this. Please look out what what other organizations there are and uh, if you spend a lot of uh, money on on uh, other like software then maybe you can use one small part there and uh, see who whom you could give that uh, who are doing people who are doing amazing things in the in the area and who make sure that you benefit uh, from this and that you get those rights to use, understand, share, and improve, and don't take those away from you. 
Beautiful. Um, I will get links from all of that from you after our call. So you can just text me <laughs> the book, uh, where to donate, and anything else you want to share, and I'll leave it down in the show notes. So anyone listening can go ahead and check those out. And uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with you or follow you and the work you're doing? So, I mean, uh, there is fsv.org is the website. And uh, then uh, we are, meanwhile, like mainly present on the Fediverse. So the the federated, uh, um, uh, the federated, federated uh, social network, you can sign up for mailings from us. I myself, I'm also, yeah, not such a big social media person but uh, uh yeah on our website you will find at what events i'm I, I i will be so i i love to connect with you in the real world and beside that i'm also on uh on mastodon which is one of the uh, federated networks and uh yeah so perfect happy to mastodon see you too. so if you follow us you can follow matthias right now as well <laughs> Um, well, thank you so much for the interview. It was very insightful. I learned a lot and I know that other people will get value from it too. So thank you. Then I'm very happy about it. <laughs> thank you very much for the invitation. Now, I really want to talk about uh, Matthias's new book. It's called The Tale of Software, Skateboards, and Raspberry Ice Cream. And uh, I'm sure, you know, adults can definitely read this, myself included, but it's definitely aimed more towards children. And it's a great way to expose people to the concepts of open source and the concepts of privacy, surveillance. And it's just a great book. And everything is under Creative Commons. There's a Git repository for this. And there's even book readings. And so if you really want a way to give back to privacy and security and open source, this is the best way to do it, especially now that's the holiday season. And so you can get active by um, gifting this book to somebody you know if they have children. You can even buy the book and donate it to a local library. You can give feedback, you can write a review, and everything's under Creative Commons. So you could even translate the book into a different language. So this is just beautiful. And I really appreciate Matias putting this together. And I really wanted to give a massive shout out to this because I just love the entire concept of it. And I'll leave links to everything down in the description. I would love to see some of you all purchase this and support the cause a little bit. Um, yeah, that's that's all I have to say. Um, thank you, Matthias, for putting this together. And I hope that this resonates with other people because I think it's such a good way to advocate that I haven't quite seen before. And I also just want to thank Matthias and all of you and anyone else who's engaging with this via audio or video for your time and engaging with privacy, engaging with security, and engaging with open source in any way, shape, or form. I'm very appreciative that I'm just not talking into a void over this. And there are tons of people who care about this. And uh, you're all awesome for tuning in. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And if you want to support what we're doing here, definitely check us out on patreon.com slash techlore. If you don't like Patreon, totally valid. We're also on LibrePay. We also support Kofi and we also have Monero as well. So there are a ton of ways to support what we're doing. And I'll leave everything down in the description as well as Matthias's stuff and the Free Software Foundation of Europe. And that is really it. I'll see you all next time on Techlore and peace out.